Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. So today, uh, to close us out, we've got Dr. Catherine Hunt from the Gold Coast campus. She's going to um, talk about whether microfinance borrowers are born or made, an analysis of the personality characteristics of borrowers in Pakistan, Nicaragua, and Bhutan. She combines her experience as a financial planner with her current role as a lecturer to develop research which answers important questions in financial services. She holds a Bachelor of Psychological Science, a Bachelor of Commerce in Financial Planning, First Class Honors in Finance, and is a university medalist, I presume I should say. She's de uh, defended her PhD thesis at Erasmus University of Rotterdam in the Netherlands, and her PhD has also been granted by the University of Bologna, which I presume is under one of those EU... Uh, Equivalency? Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and the University of Hamburg in Germany. Um, she specializes in research and teaching in the space of financial planning and teaches the three most advanced courses in the Masters of Financial Planning in the GBS. Uh, she undertakes industry-led research projects leading to her expertise in client relationships, engagement, application, risk profiling, psychological measurement, and the development of financial project product, projects with an empirical foundation. She is also, and this is the best part, served in 20 countries. Um, so, and uh, including, I presume, the Gold Coast. Yeah. <laughs> Every day, including today. <laughs> so about uh, 40 minutes, I'll turn it over to you, and then we'll open it for questions. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of uh, things I need help with, so we, it might be a bit shorter than 40 minutes, and then there'll be more time for you guys to share ideas and help us structure it a little bit more powerfully. So microfinance, as a little recap, is basically small loans for, effectively, for the poorer people in the world. A small loan of, say, 100 US dollars. And I can also, I'll send you also the, please. Oh, I'm gonna tweet, can I tweet? Oh, absolutely, great, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, <laughs> so it's small loans for the poor, in theory, run by specialist companies that provide these loans. And they specialize just in giving small loans to people who are often rural, illiterate women. Similar to our banks here in Australia, there's two types of uh, reasons you get a loan. One of those reasons would be consumption. Say for your home, medical expenses, your daughter's wedding, you might get a loan for those things. The other option is of course the business loan. The business loan to start or grow a business. So microfinance has a lot of issues I've published on this topic before a few times, and it's the idea, the philosophy is that microfinance helps lift people out of poverty by equipping them to actually start and grow businesses. The reality is when you have to charge 25% interest rates or more because you have to run a business or else you can't keep giving these loans sustainably, then the people are effectively paying $125 for that loan over the course of a year whereas if they had just saved it, they're paying 100. So the actual outcome of microfinance is a little bit still up in the air. We're not entirely sure about it. So that's your little background about what microfinance is, what a loan, a microfinance loan looks like. Are there any questions just on microfinance before we start what we're doing in this research paper? It's good to get them out of the way rather than in 45 minutes time to say. But wait on, who gives the loans? Which happens quite often. Yes? Just wait. Question. Yeah. I thought, you know, there's been some bad success with microfinance. Do they all charge high interest rates for that? I thought, yeah. I, I thought there was a lot of um, default rate with microfinance. 
Yeah, there's almost no default rate. This is correct. So, but but. imagine you give a hundred dollar loan to someone who's ideally rurally located and illiterate. Right, so you have to go to them on your moped. Exactly. Give them the contract, explain it to them, get the X instead of the signature. So the cost of delivering the loan is so high. Um, so it's not, whereas here, an unsecured debt like a credit card has high interest rates, but more because it's unsecured, rather than the actual cost of delivering it because it's online and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, who does give the loan? I mean, are we talking individuals as well as organisations? Pretty much it's organisations, microfinance institutions. And they're regulated in every country as well. So they're Hopefully, like in Pakistan, they have a tiered regulation system, which is good. Because you can't, you don't want the microfinance institutions to be regulated the same as normal banks. Because they're just so much smaller. So if you say, well, you have to have a billion dollars of liquid assets to be a bank, the microfinance institution's like, but we need to serve the poor, why don't you have a different regulation for them, basically. So there are, there's for-profit or at least financially self-sustainable microfinance institutions in every country. And there's also, especially in countries like Bangladesh, uh, charity-based microfinance institutions whose interest rates might be much lower, but they depend completely on the goodwill of Norway and the Netherlands. So when Norway and the Netherlands change their mind and say, actually, fistula is more important than microfinance, uh, all of that whole system is going to fall down. So I'm really interested in the sustainability of these institutions in general. Other questions on microfinance before we... Excellent. Okay, so what we're looking at in this research is really this distinction between who's getting a loan for <coughs> child's wedding, hopefully adult child's wedding, versus who's getting a loan for a business. So what we're really looking at is entrepreneurs. Now it's really hard to get access to entrepreneurs in the developing context. Could you imagine the kind of effort you would need to be able to actually survey 922 of them? across three countries, it would be an absolute nightmare. But we have them all centralised at microfinance institutions. And so this is what I'm really interested in, is this entrepreneurship uh, angle. So if anyone here has been outside of Brisbane, you will know people are incredibly entrepreneurial. They will find something that's currently being offered, like a free hug, and they'll say, you know what, I bet I can just make a, deliver a little bit more value give a deluxe hug, charge a little bit more, and create value, be an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs are all over the world, and it's, it's inspiring how amazing they are. There is so much literature on entrepreneurship, it's like we're not even going to go there, basically. There's so much literature on entrepreneurship, and the kinds of the literature that I've talked about in my paper is the structural and inherent characteristics of entrepreneurs. So the idea is, if we're running an entrepreneurship seminar, Queensland Government runs them all the time, I go to them, and they're teaching people how to be entrepreneurs. They don't just start off by saying, well, can you just do this conscientiousness, uh, extroversion, and risk tolerance questionnaire first, and if you fail that, then just leave, because you're never going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, this isn't for you. You don't like it. You will not like it. You'll, end, you'll be an entrepreneur maybe for a second, then you'll be like, hang on a second. Most people choose to have a real job. A real job. That's, as my neighbour who rides motorbikes for a living says, I don't have a real job and I own ten times more than any of you ever will. So it's, it's not only uh, about the money. So 
the categories of personality that the entrepreneurship literature generally covers is the big five. So optimism, so it's O, C, E, A, and N. Sorry, not optimism. It's openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So <laughs> that one is a bit of a... <laughs> yeah, that's the... The up-down. It's a bit of a heavy word, not neuroticism, but it's the up-down. It doesn't significantly predict entrepreneurs anyway. Uh, openness to experience, extroversion, and of course, number one, conscientiousness. <coughs> Their conscientiousness is hard work. So that predicts entrepreneurs. Also, leadership um, predicts entrepreneurs, risk tolerance, some of these things. But these are some of the components, other than risk tolerance, that haven't been explicitly studied on entrepreneurs, full stop, but also not in the developing context. I'm interested in the developing context because there's just so much more impact that can happen from entrepreneurship in the developing context. So uh, when I went through all of the psychology literature to find out what has been done on entrepreneurs, a lot of the literature says, this hasn't been done. We haven't tested their self-control, their optimism, their financial literacy, or their temperament. Um, and it indicated that this, these components of personality could be critical for entrepreneurs, especially in developing countries. So that's the angle we're taking. We're trying to figure out, I wonder, could a microfinance institution simply just figure out, well, this borrower has low self-control, yet they're applying for a business loan. Maybe we have an issue here. So this is really important, not only because of defaults, like. Uh, Graham raised earlier. So the idea that people might take a microfinance loan and then default on it because their business doesn't succeed. But it's really important for just development in general. So if you look at the impact of entrepreneurship on the development, especially of small and growing countries, it's really, really significant. So this whole area of entrepreneurship is really important. So what did we look at? 922 microfinance borrowers across three countries, collected with paper surveys in Pakistan, Nicaragua and Bhutan by my partner researchers who are also co-authors on the paper. And we used previously validated scales, of course. I didn't invent any question for the survey. I didn't invent how to test self-control or optimism or of those. Uh, and they were also adapted culturally as well as linguistically. So, for example, when we were in Bhutan, one of the questions for risk tolerance says, um, you're about to go on a once-in-a-lifetime holiday, you lose your job, would you A, cancel the holiday, B, take a more modest holiday, C, go all out because this is the last time you'll ever have a holiday, all these things. So, in Bhutan, the feedback was, we don't take holidays. What do the Bhutanese do? Does anyone, can anyone figure it out? Don't Yeah, exactly, pilgrimages. Yeah, so when we get leave, or if we're saving for something, we're saving for a pilgrimage to a sacred site. That is what we do. Like, literally no one goes on holiday. So you can see, like, the, me as a non-Bhutanese, obviously I couldn't ever figure that out. <laughs> And this was why it was so critical to have my partner researchers on the ground because that's just so over my head. So all of the questions were validated culturally or adapted culturally. Same being the, uh, the totals, so 
Some of the questions relate to money. In the, in the Australian context, it's you've inherited $100,000. Uh, yeah, it doesn't work. In, and these two countries actually have quite different incomes as well. Nicaragua is relatively very wealthy compared to Pakistan and Bhutan. <coughs> so we had to make sure that the currencies were adapted down uh, to, yeah, to make sure that the amounts that were represented in the survey were interesting for the people, but also accurate for what they could imagine. So that's the sample, and it looked a little bit like this. Um, this is how we collected some of the variables. So you can see we've collected, and then we've uh, manipulated the data so that it's all comparable. That's in the description category there. So we're, of course, asking about age, did they get a business loan or a consumption loan? The number of loans that they took, gender. Uh, there was a question in there. What would be the consequence of you not taking this loan? For example, would you have gone without food, been late in your rent payments, or not going to the doctor? Uh, we checked if they were urban or rural, income, university degree. We also looked at the number of financial behaviours, because financial literacy research is moving a little bit more away from the knowledge idea and a bit more towards what are you doing with that knowledge. And number of family members, and then we converted the financial literacy score to a 100 scale as well. So we have uh, hypotheses here, very fancy. Um, of course, they didn't copy paste completely nicely into this little crazy thing, but I think that the people who understand that, being Graham and Jenny, yes, I see you, I see you, um, understand what we're talking about here. So we're predicting that these personality factors are associated with with a borrower taking a loan for business purposes versus consumption purposes. For the second hypothesis, we're looking at uh, demographics predicting the loan for business purposes. So we're looking <coughs> at gender, age, income, rural, urban, uh, financial capacity, and occupation for that. And for hypothesis three, we're looking at knowledge and financial behaviours uh, predicting loans for business purposes. I should also mention we have uh, an inherent issue with this particular researching in this space is maybe you can help me uh, figure out how we can overcome that, other than just, oh, it'll all come out of the wash with the so much data. Um, but it does happen that people will go to a microfinance institution and say, this is a business loan, and it's not. Or they'll do the opposite. So really, they just need the loan for whatever, and they'll just kind of say something in order to get the loan. And so that, that could be a bit of an issue. Hopefully, you'll help me with this. So this is the uh, descriptives. Can you guys see that at the back? Pretty tiny. Too tiny. Too tiny. So we've got it all grouped by Pakistan, Nicaragua, and Bhutan. And basically, the main issues with uh, comparability of these three countries is uh, education, university degree. Um, for Pakistan, is very high, much higher than for uh, Nicaragua and Bhutan. So we also have some differences in age um, and whatnot as well. So that's the descriptive stuff. That's in the full paper. So, that I've sorry, can you yeah. go back just one second? Yeah. Um, I'll just lay my ignorance on the table. Uh, business loan Pakistan mean 0.946. Does that mean 94.6% of the people you surveyed uh -huh. were taking a business loan? Correct. And then yep. the rest of the, okay. Yep. Yeah. Whereas it's 73% in Nicaragua and 77% in Bhutan. 
But you have some doubt about the reliability of that because they want a loan, regardless. Yeah, and it, it, it could work both ways, so it could just come out in the wash. Is there a preference from these microfinance? It's what they want to provide the loan for, is for yeah, business? The regulation encourages, so it's top down, the regulation encourages the microfinance institutions in Pakistan especially to give loans for business purposes. Yeah. Um, can I just ask, sorry, um, as well as uh, sort of the idea of, you know, they don't want it to default, is there the, you know, the stigma of bankruptcy at all in, these, in, in any of these countries? Um, so historically, microfinance was built on a group lending model, which is where five women would take a loan, and one woman would get it one month, and one would get it the next month, and whatever. And if one of them was defaulted, then the others would effectively have to pay because there are joint debtors. Yeah, yeah joint yeah. debtors. Ego. <laughs> Good term. Um, that's changed. That changed maybe a decade or two ago, and now they need to get references from five non-relatives, non-neighbours, and the reference is non-binding. So the referee doesn't actually like. There's nothing at stake except honour, which is a thing that we're a bit unfamiliar with in Australia. Like the honour of writing someone a letter saying, no, they'll definitely repay their loan. Oh, well, they didn't. I don't care. Like, not my problem. It's a bank's problem. <coughs> but in the countries where we're researching and where microfinance is prevalent, the honour of, no, I wrote a letter saying you would repay your loan. So you need to repay your loan. So the, the risk of default, because of the system of microfinance, is still so low. And actual default is so low. So it's really the culture and the shame of... Yeah. I think it's those countries they are called guarantors, so it's different from just writing a recommendation. Yeah, historically it was based on the guarantor. Yeah. Well, they'll they'll be liable if it's mm. a true guarantee. Yeah. They're going to be liable if it's default by the original debtor. That's but right. The interesting yeah. thing, and this is one of the reasons why Muhammad Yunus got the Nobel Peace Prize and not the Nobel Prize or any kind of statistics because no one can figure out how will people keep repaying them. If there's no, if no one has consequences from this other than social, yeah, it's, how well, is it must be no the difference? shame and the culture just well, the, don't, that don't cultural you get your house broken if you default in Bangladesh in one of those in one of those groups? Doesn't the group come and tear down your house? And, mm -hmm. I mean, there are lots of instances of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the historical model of the group lending model. Yeah. So the like that's. A group loan? Absolutely. Like you go into a group of people, everyone's responsible. So these are all individual loans that mm -hmm. you've looked at. These are not groups yeah. that are taking money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In Pakistan, they do have a really cool regulation which allows for um, larger loans where there's collateral in the form of gold, like to me a bank. So they have you know bracelets and things, and they weigh it, put it in a safe, and say yeah, it's secured. Yeah. When you repay your loan, you get it back, and that works really well to allow bigger loans as well. Like so they're still microfinance, still technically microfinance, but just next level up, like to buy a rickshaw rather than just to buy extra oranges to cut up and sell in smaller parcels. It's interesting to see on your list the variables, the number of people that know the interest rate. Yeah, they say they do. Yeah, they say they do. Yeah. yeah. What's the irrational behaviour there? That's temperament. 
So that's when you look at the, the questions for that. So it, it's important for entrepreneurship because four out of five businesses fail. It's not logical to start a business. It's logical to get a job and get a wage, but people do it. So we're, I was interested and am interested in whether that can predict entrepreneurship. Um, but when you look at the actual questions in the, in the irrational behavior scale, it's things like, um, do you have a lucky charm? And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So I'm completely irrational according to, and there's all these other questions where I'm like, is that really that irrational though? Like, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's basically a human You say four out of five businesses fail. And I remember being told that half the restaurants in America that opened up failed within a year. Yeah. Uh, okay. Gambling. So is this seen as, a, as, a, as an indicator of risk taking, or would, and would it be a negative mm. kind, of a, kind of a factor? Mm. The risk, interestingly, the risk tolerance scale has questions that are kind of gambling questions, and they they kind of pose it in like a um, game show situation. So you've got a choice between. 50% uh, chance of winning $1,000 or a 50% chance of losing $500. This thing, and you have to choose a cable. You know, 25% chance of this and all this kind of stuff. Um, which really is gambling, isn't it? But in game show form. And the research on risk tolerance as an uh, area in general generally finds that our tolerance for risk is persistent across our. Uh, different components of our life. So my life, my professional life here at Griffith, I take a fair amount of risks. I do research like this that could just flop. Um, I also surf in really dangerous places and I often nearly drown. Uh, I'm not allowed a motorbike because I drive really fast. And yes, when I invest, I invest in completely small companies in small developing countries. So that kind of consistency um, is, so that that's how they can actually elicit financial risk tolerance with a survey on gambling, basically, game show questions. So you're lucky to be here. Would, yeah. you, would, you, would you like us to hold the questions till the end of your presentation? Oh, no, I think it's fun like okay. this. Yeah, 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 question, absolutely. So um, you can also see that there's some issues in my data collection methodology. And missing <coughs> data regarding family members um, and also some of the urban rural locations as well for other countries. Bhutan, I don't know if any of you guys have been there, it's all rural. Um, and yeah, missing data for certain parts of the survey as well. So some of those are structural issues with my approach. So this is when we're starting to analyze the data and figure out if there is a difference uh, between the groups of people who take loans for consumption purposes. So remember that's the wedding, child's wedding, medical costs, school fees versus a business loan. Um, and in general, we have some differences based on education, um, the rational behavior, risk tolerance, of course, and as well as income. And people who take business loans, are, they also take more loans. So this is when we put all the data together. Now, if we look at actual, the first hypothesis, sorry, it's a bit squinty for you guys at the back. How am I supposed to present this, like actually like, so I can make this bigger in 
for future things. I feel like we always have this issue with tables. Split screen. Or do you need? Do you need? And I say this as someone who doesn't doesn't deal with data a great deal. Do you need all the data? Oh, I'm going to say no. But it, I feel like it does also make it look like it's been done properly. Yeah. Well, hopefully it has been done properly. Understand this. So right now we definitely have two people here yeah. who understand this. And if you don't put it up, they just tear you to shreds. Yeah. No, no, I don't tear them to, to shreds. But that can be, you know, that that's for the people who there are some people who just love diving into those stats and, and looking at it. But I think most of us are we want to cut to the chase and tell us, did it prove it or did it not? Um, and, and what are the implications of that? Mm -hmm. So some of the things that I need help with for you guys to think of is that we have really significant country differences in which personalities predict taking a loan for business purposes. So in Bhutan, irrational behaviour. Okay. Why? Uh, in and also risk tolerance in Nicaragua, risk tolerance as well, but not in Pakistan. Has anything to do with what or how you define rationality? Yeah, in those different societies may well, not may well, do define rational in different ways. Yeah, and that's one of the conclusions of the paper is these cultural differences, basically. Because it's the same even with risk tolerance. Some cultures say, yeah, go all out, go for it, you know, reach your goals, whatever, risk everything. And so, like Silicon Valley, think about that, that culture there of risk taking, whereas the culture of other places are like, no, no my brother in India, you need to get a job with the postal service because then you've got a government job and then we'll be happy. So this, um, you, you're using the Hexaco model of uh, personality profile? The, uh, it sounds like the, the, the big five? Uh, we're not looking at the big five here. They've already been done oh, okay. on entrepreneurship. Okay. Yeah, yeah so I didn't want are, to reinvent the So these are different. Five. What I'm getting at is, is whether the irrational behavior was developed in the United States using U.S. undergrads. Almost certainly. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> almost certainly. Yeah, and all of these scales that I've used have been validated. Like I've used the original scale that was developed and tested by the psychologists, but then they have been validated in subsequent papers. But I'm sure none of these have been done in Bhutan before. Right. Because nothing's been done in Bhutan before, pretty much. So, and I wonder if it changes over time too, as as those developing countries become more developed, the appetite to take um, risk might change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you correlate them by age? Age of the borrower. Well, oh, risk, yeah, well, risk tolerance by people under twenty-five, over sixty, that sort of thing. I don't think we did. I need to write that down. I was thinking about cultural differences. Um, you would assume, that's a big assumption on my part, that Pakistan and Nicaragua would be collectivist type cultures rather than individualistic like the US. You have to define what culturalist and individualistic mean. Hostility is mm. bullshit. Yes, yeah, there's the replacement people from those. <laughs> who, who was the guy? There's, there's another crowd that came out since then. But it's possible that Bhutan is very rural uh, and they're all essentially farmers, that they may be, uh, you know, may be quite a different culture to Pakistan. 
But from my experience in the country, um, I've delivered workshops there for a week while we went there to do the, the data collection, teaching their academics how to do basic research. And um, they told me that they spend about 35% of their income on humbug, cultural obligations. So, um, if I, could you imagine? Cultural obligations are a form of saving, saving state capital. There's a great paper by on, on, on China by a fellow named Yanyan Chang who looks at gift giving. Yeah. And people give gifts in the village. Okay? And so you give a gift to so and so on such and such an occasion. This is all written down and so that when a similar thing comes up for you, this is simply a way of you spreading your capital mm. out and then when you need it, it's there for you. Yeah. But it's safe today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, only yeah. Thing, the, the only thing is that, that this, the, the villages have to be stable populations. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you go away, you that that move away, away yeah. you're gone. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So uh, you're having a problem in that you didn't get the results that uh, you expected? Yeah, I mean, a bit of consistency, please. Like, Across the country. Mm -hmm. Like, can we not have some results that just say high risk tolerance predicts entrepreneurship? Place, like honestly, except in Pakistan, like it's frustrating. So, it's possible you've come up with a far more interesting finding than the one you set out for. Yeah. You know, that, that it doesn't predict that because cultural differences actually matter quite a lot and you have to adjust the questions. Um, so, you know, I think actually that could be a really interesting paper. It, I agree. Actually, you know, taking it to that next step would be really fascinating. And then going back and working with a, you know, Bhutanese academics to say, okay, what would irrational behavior look like uh, to most people who we're talking to? Uh -huh. yeah. Not having a lucky charm, maybe, is uh, it's yeah. irrational. It's irrational. Yeah, 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 yeah. Almost. Um, so rather than them just going through and going, yeah, that looks okay. No, no. Translate that into, like, fully translate. What would that look like? That question for you. Mm. You're in the same issue with self-control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so develop a new uh, country-specific uh, survey, that, but then the translation, how would you compare them across countries, uh, well, maybe, you know, each country's specific understanding of irrational behavior, and then you compare that, so mm -hmm. what, what would be irrational behavior, and do people who engage in that kind of behavior uh, then engage in microfinance more? Mm -hmm. It's a, mm -hmm. another project. And business lines, mm -hmm. overconsumption lines. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's like there's so many layers of intricacy to it all. So that's uh, the first hypothesis. The second hypothesis um, found, so income was a predictor of taking a business loan for Pakistan and Bhutan, as was being urban. So urban higher income people um, took more business loans in Pakistan and Bhutan. Oh, in Bhutan we did because they're all rural. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't 100% Bhutan. I think you go back to yeah. the original page. Oh. I thought it was zero for whatever mm -hmm. was not the one. Did you? No. 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 Did
Maybe it's Miss Label. Maybe it's Pakistan and the Iraq war. Yeah, but it's yeah. Why has it got two countries groups there? Is that a typo, you That's what I'm thinking. That Pakistan and Bhutan. Maybe it should be Pakistan and Bhutan. Uh, Especially if there's none. Thank you for the mm -hmm. So, not a lot of anything too interesting there. This is a better size for you guys at the back. Um, so we do have, for all countries at least, university degree and the number of fi financial behaviours um, predicting business loans in all three countries to some extent. So that's something. Quantity of financial behaviours. What, what is that again? So uh, that's, do you uh, compare microfinance loans before taking one? Do you read or listen to the financial news? Do you, so it's a list of things that they could do. Um, and it's so, so it's the financial literacy literature is moving a bit away from knowledge and a bit more away to how we're putting that into place. Because even some people have low knowledge, but they act really well, like they compare products or, or whatever it looks like. So it's, it's another dimension of that. Microfinance was originally rural, wasn't it? I mean, yes. if I recall, yep. Eunice was, was, was basically lending to village women. Yes, Illiterate village women. And so mm -hmm. Uh, and so on, but you're obviously doing something, and you say university degree. I would have thought that in the countries that you're talking about, people with university degrees would not be looking for microfinance loans. They could mm -hmm. walk mm -hmm. into a bank. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, um, what we consider as university degrees, though, is like the standard is a little bit different. Yes, but still, I mean, it's illiterate versus somebody of education. Finish school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which yeah. means someone's invested in 12 years of your school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No matter what the quality of it is, it's costly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so there's systemic issue in the sample to begin with because it's all effectively the um, easily accessible borrowers. So it's not actually, like, obviously this wasn't done by the people on motorbikes that go and collect the payment every month. This is the people that maybe came into the branch or, or at least more easily accessible. Yeah. yeah. Which I guess also goes to show micro, you know, the model for microfinance is also changing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. That's good. That it just supports the changing model. <laughs> I'm going to write this down or I'll completely forget. Apologies. Okay, so again, could be sorry. The, the ones with university degrees and financial behaviour uh, are going to be knowledgeable people, and they basically like the idea of getting some access to finance. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of makes sense that, that they're the ones that are going to grab it if it's available in the city as well as. You know, mm -hmm. And they'll get it for business purposes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can even I can I can imagine slum kids. Growing up and you know, being 15, 20 years old and just being entrepreneurial, seeing as seeing, I, I can make money doing this. I mean, I can see that. You know, you don't need to be educated necessarily to be uh, to a middleman, entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. and to be able to to, to to do a small business. Mm -hmm. a small business. Mm -hmm. It would be nice to know to what how big the loan seems to them. So we we call it microfinance. 
Like, do you have kind income words, figures it, for these you know, we people? We talk about like a, lot, a lottery ticket. You're talking about gambling for a lotto, like $20. Okay, well, that's what. Four cups of coffee. So for us, that's, that's you know, buying a lottery ticket is like a consumption item, not an investment. Mm -hmm. um, so do they see that as like the loan they're getting is like $100 or is it in their equivalent to us of 100 or 1000 Yeah, no, it's definitely significant. Quite big for them, is Big enough to justify the process, the application. Yeah. In terms of assessing risk of being a repayment risk, uh, how would business versus personal be be measured in, the, in these terms? I mean, if you're doing a business, there's a chance that you might make money and be able to repay the loan. If you're doing something per, for personal, especially you've got a, a sick relative, you know. Uh, this is something that you can't plan on, and it may, you know, you, you may never be able to repay the loan. It just seemed to me, you know, is is there a different way of assessing this and looking at who gives fine, the, the, the money? You do you do mention that you differentiate them in your survey, but uh, in terms of in terms of how they're perceived by the micro lender. From my understanding, I think I should check a bit more deeply, though. Thank you for raising it. But from my understanding, they're quite similar. So they have still have the social collateral, the letters of recommendation. Um, generally, it's pretty much the same terms as well. Like still a 12-month loan, 25% interest, say. So they're kind of, yeah, the same, I suppose. But um, I can check that easily. Microfinance is only you look at the bank, NGOs, and others. These ones are, uh, I think they're fully, yeah, the participants of, no, not fully. In Pakistan, there's Cash, which is an NGO microfinance institution, right. but almost all of them are striving to be self sustainable microfinance institutions. Yeah. And uh, sampling, how did you select these uh, participants? So with the partner institutions, so for example in Bhutan, we had two microfinance institutions that partnered with us and they collected the, after all the process of developing the survey, going through it with them, they collected the uh, responses in their branches. So they selected you the sample, is that right? Absolutely. In all three countries. Are there any alternative ways that people can get money in, this, in, in yes. these societies you've looked at? Yes. One thing I'm thinking of, there's something that's found in Japan, China, Korea, various parts of Africa called the Rotating Credit Association. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something similar to that, but this is something which is done completely at the grassroots level yeah. and with people you're, you're familiar with. Yes. You, you know, yes, well aware of them. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently, um, even in a, in a workplace in Ethiopia, you know, our, all university graduates, everyone, they still have a rotating credit thing where someone each month will get the, the amount. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very common and grassroots, absolutely. So the reason why people 
initially loved the idea of microfinance and still love it to some extent, is that everywhere in the world, in every slum in the world, you can get access to credit. There is actually no issue with access to credit. There are the black market credit providers and they will give you credit. No problem, they'll give it to you right now on with flexible repayment terms as well. You miss a week, that's fine. Just pay double next week or triple next week more likely. And if you don't repay, well, we'll break your kneecaps or kill your family maybe, but you know, it's a bit more dire, but you can get access to credit. So the reason why people love in the development space microfinance is because it's transparent, there's no real adverse consequences, although there have been issues with over-indebtedness historically with people getting loans from a number of microfinance institutions and then actually getting so in debt that um, there's been a number of suicides in South India because of that. So those countries have started putting in place credit bureaus which stops people from getting themselves trapped in that way, getting a loan to pay back the other loan kind of situation. Does that answer your question? So these are some of the questions that I really need help with. Um, you've kind of touched on the first two, maybe the three, and but if you have any idea about other like key findings that are worth highlighting from whichever approach, um, either let me know now or even email me afterwards. And I'm thinking of targeting Emerging Markets Review for the publication, so if you have another idea as, a, as a, an appropriate journal, think on it, Tom. Was this a, a most similar systems case study design? Uh, so Nicaragua, Bhutan, and Pakistan? No. Okay. No, so how were, how were the cases selected? It's pretty random. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Bhutan and Bhutan so close to each other, it's just it's not random. Yeah. I mean, if I were looking at this, I would say those two, right, they're not the same, but they have many of the same cultural origins. Nicaragua was way out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying two and a half rather than three. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just wanted I wanted different countries. So Bhutan is fully Buddhist, Pakistan is almost fully Muslim, and Nicaragua is fully Catholic. They're, they would tell you that they're very different. For my PhD, I compared Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh because they were one country until 1947, so I was able to argue um, at least to people not from those countries who said, no, you can't compare. <laughs> There's a reason why they became separate countries, but anyway. Um, so the idea is that they're not uh, actually intended to be that similar. Like even with incomes, Nicaragua's um, GDP is so much higher than Pakistan and um, Bhutan on a per capita basis. Would you consider looking just at the Bhutan-Pakistan cases? Because they're kind of comparable? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. have significant differences. differences. Yeah. Whereas, first Pakistan, you'd say, yeah, so yeah. Different. of course Stop. it's different because they're, yeah, we overlap. First question, you need to justify why you selected these three countries. Otherwise, yeah. there's no point. Yeah. There's no point comparing them. My initial idea was to have just separate papers for right. each country. But then, when I had all the data, I got all excited. And I was like, well, let's compare this and make it like a developing context uh, consideration. Mm. But there's. I mean, you could, and you could continue to build on that as well, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. Now, another dimension um, in the literature the microfinance by 
female headed households mm. more likely they will repay back the loan than male headed households so i think is that question you asked no uh, that's i don't think i've raised that here but right. there's a reason why historically they gave loans to women only and there are a number of microfinance institutions that across the world that only give loans to women i think if you look at the average gender of most microfinance institutions in the world it's, it's women um, women tend to give, use the money for their children, uh, for food, school expenses. Men across the world somehow get the microfinance loan and then go to the pub <laughs> and don't repay. I, I know it's like whereas here, you know, there's you wouldn't see any gender differences, but in the world, it's yeah, it's women. It's very very common finding that that uh, women use their income far greater percentage of their income on their family, mm -hmm. men use a far greater in, uh, percentage of it on themselves. Uh -huh. And this, I mean, you can you find this yeah, wow. you know, all over the developing world, yeah, and probably yeah. in the developed Australian world as well. <laughs> <laughs> you have self-control up here. I would think that persistence would be, in other words, somebody who's going to stick with an idea, stick with something and, and see it through, mm -hmm. I think that that would be a much more important characteristic than simply self-control. I, self -control I think self-control is, is, well. is something that Donald Trump doesn't have. Yeah. Uh, yes. For emotional and things like that, whereas mm. persistence, I think, is... So it's like stamina. Stamina. Mentally, I'm going to stick this through. I'm not going to and putting the value, so self-control is putting the value on future me instead of current me. So current me doesn't want to go to uni. No way, as if I want to study here. But future me knows that, no, this is a good thing to do. So we're doing it, push through. So it is. it does have a future the view to it. The marshmallow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so emerging markets review is made. Yeah. Is the, I don't know anything about um, Buddhist society. Is it at all more matriarchal than Pakistan society? Yes. It be Depends on the Buddhist society. In Japan, yes. China, yes. Probably Southeast Asia, much less so because the kinship systems are completely different. Right. Buddhists tend to be much no. Yeah. It's, so it's the culture no, rather than the religion. But, 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 but if you have a matri a society that tends toward the mother as a center, you're going to have a, a very different authoritarian system than you do in Yeah, there's just one other any sort of estimation in Bhutan versus Pakistan. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like it. Mm -hmm. Also, if anyone wants to go to Bhutan, it's a very uh, private country. They only give 30,000 visas a year, and the minimum spend is 300 US dollars per person per day. But if you're going to their one university where I went, the Royal University of Britain, to teach their academics something like how to do research, um, then you just bypass all of that. So just let me know if you do. They want, they want us to go there and teach them. They keep echoing me. When are you coming back? We need you again. So. Kind of a, a weird question, but did you notice them being happy? Yes, I was going to ask. Grossly happy back. And they, and they talk about it a lot as well, GNH, yeah, gross national happiness. They don't understand why we do GDP, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, they have. Oh, they're almost blindingly happy towards the religious family, with the royal family. Mm. So every room in every house, and we went to a lot of houses and a lot of rooms in the university, has on average six pictures of the royal family. That's the average. That we did our own little study. We, were like, we have that here. It's called Women's Day or Women's Weekly, and they're all plastered <laughs> across the um, covers. Where does Pakistan lie in the happiness index? I wonder. Way down. Probably not very high. Yeah. Right. That's one difference between the two. Yes, there you go. But Bhutan isn't the happiest country. Is it? It's just that, no. No, no, that's Denmark and Costa Rica are the top two. And it's not even near the top. It's more, it's the intention of the government is to support the happiness. Oh. So there's a reason why they don't let tourists in because they don't want all of our plastic water bottles everywhere. And they have a law that 67% of their land must be forest, and they survey it every year. So, because they, they recognize that that's, so the natural infrastructure creates. Bhutan is the only country in the world discouraged tourism. They don't want tourists to come. And, and yet do, it's their do second they discourage, biggest Do they discourage outside television, say for India, yeah, and internet? And, you they know, have Korean TV. And, yeah. Korean TV? That's what they told me. All the youngsters are watching Korean TV and not wearing the traditional Oh, the, 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 so South Korea, the K-pop yeah, type yeah. thing? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So are my youngsters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's everywhere. Yeah. But they wear tradi the traditional thick woolen dresses. Um, yeah, the women wear long dresses and the men wear the short dresses, and they, everyone wears them. Like, it's very unusual to see someone who's in Western clothing. They have a law as well that all the buildings have to be done in the traditional style. So, build with concrete, do, build with whatever you want, but it has to look traditional with all the little curvy bits. It's very interesting. You, you might try this as a comparative paper, but I wonder if, and just see what kind of feedback they give, and then determine whether it's actually three papers. Uh-huh. Yes. Because it, it may be difficult. It may be difficult to justify the, the, the case selection, the comparison uh -huh. of these three mm -hmm. cases. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's worth a try since you've already got it written up. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, the angle with the comparison is, I suppose, these countries are super different, and the different cultures explain the why are you so naughty results. Mm -hmm. So let, let's investigate whether we find similar results, even though the, the, the cultures are very different, are our entrepreneurs mm. similar? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, mm -hmm. that's our, you know, our hypothesis, well, that's mm. what we're investigating. Yeah. And, we, and we found, no, actually, the cultural differences do seem to matter quite a lot. So, yeah, there you go. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, yeah, Sorry, I was saying before about it was high income and urban. I'm sorry? Remember I said it was high income and urban? Oh, I know. Uh, but it's actually low income and urban, or more likely to go for entrepreneurship. So the high income and urban was kind of, I think, Graham raised like, yeah, okay, and high education makes sense. I'm a bit, um, I don't know where this goes, so forgive me. I can see how self internal optimism and all this and high income relate to both business loans and personal ones. But entrepreneurship seems to me to be overwhelmingly relevant to the business one. Yes. Not the personal one. No. So it depends a bit on what the mix of loans is that's in your uh, population. If you have more personal loans than in fact you have, then that's going to shift the balance in terms of entrepreneurship, but maybe not any of the others. 
lower levels of entrepreneurship. Mm. Yeah, I think from memory we had around 70% business yeah, loans and then 95 um, well, Your questions here are all about entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. which means that you could probably exclude, exclude the personal, personal loans altogether. or altogether or write it, on, write it up about, about entrepreneurship and then maybe just see if there's something that the personal loans can inform to that, mm -hmm. that write-up. Mm -hmm. Can I invite our um, HDR colleagues to, to weigh in? Push yeah, forward. what do you guys think? Is that silent applause? <laughs> so I have a question about about the entrepreneurship bit, um, and it might be that um, it's a bit of a stream of consciousness, but just thinking about um, when entrepreneurs tend to be, tend to not necessarily want to end up in a, in a stable business, but it's really about starting something, and seeing if it works, moving on to the next things. And how does that factor into you know how successful these? And I, and I don't know quite how we're going to get. To resolve this question, so I'm really sorry, it's a bad question. Um, but, you know, you can't, you need to look at patterns of business loans, don't you, rather than just one. Uh -huh, uh -huh. To see if it, the successful entrepreneurs have high self-control and low irrational behaviour, so that's the ones that, how would we tell, what would we tell a successful one? Maybe they only have one loan rather than someone who has a number of loans? Uh, I'm not sure, but like. I do think the kind of there's something to tease out there about business loans versus because people, some people won't mm. be necessarily entrepreneurs mm. that get a business loan. No. They might just they've got this idea it's going to work. You know, um, mm. it's not necessarily. The, and I, um, I'll leave that with you. I thought successful entrepreneurs one had multiple. And yes. they diversify yes. it works, too. Do it again. Yeah, it works, you do you're it doing. Again. That's right. Whereas it's the personal one where you get it once because your daughter, your hope, it's only gets married thing. once. And also, do they have a business when they get this loan, or is this the, is this is this loan to start a business? Yeah, there or is this loan to fund an existing mm. business? Start or grow. Yeah, and that yeah, might so be. So we it. don't know. So how do you? Remind me how you yeah, measure entrepreneurship, because I missed that. Oh, just whether the loan is for business purposes or right. um, consumption right. purposes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So in these countries, if it's for business purposes, yeah, no. So you're trying to figure out what, so what, explains, the what explains who gets the business loan versus who gets the consumption. Yeah, given that it's entrepreneurship that drives economic growth, especially in these kind of countries, and the whole philosophy of microfinance is around this help people to help themselves rather than... But you don't define, like narrow down what sort of category of business it is. No. So you wouldn't be able to see if they were di diversifying, which is what a, a very rational business person would do so that your risk is lowered mm -hmm. overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have any way of knowing that. What you mentioned about Bhutan is description of I mean, it doesn't sound like a terribly entrepreneurial or mm -hmm. business-friendly place. I mean, what, what, you know, they're keeping all these things out, and they're not commercializing and so on. 
it's uh, almost all. What, what sort of what sort of uh, lines entrepreneurship mm. is there in Bhutan? What it's they almost doing? all farming. Oh, okay, so it's, 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 they do try to make a, have a more a more uh, efficient agricultural sector there. Yeah. Okay, so. Yeah, So if you were an agricultural person, could you go past, like you went past with the universities? Or similarly, if you could give them a more efficient way of raising whatever crop it is that they want to raise. You probably could also yeah. go in. Because yeah. yeah. they seem to be excluding Western for a whole host of reasons, but they will, for dedicated purposes, yeah, they'll they be actually, welcoming. Yeah, you can either come with your money or your knowledge, which is... But I, I love it how in all those countries, like the Sark countries, that they end like the land border. Anyone who's coming in from India, the border with India in the south, um, yeah, come on in. No, no issue with the cost and things like that. I like Flying it. in. Yeah, not not many people really want to go there, but you know, they still can go in like that. So they just recognise that Westerners have the money if they want to come here, they can pay for it. Yeah. So I'm guessing they probably want a course on democracy and human rights. Well, they recently do have democracy. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The husband of the dean of the business school, he was like one of the first elected politicians. Yeah, we stayed with him. So they have, and it, but it runs. So the uh, the church or the temple. The Buddhist group that's huge, they run the government, and then they've also got an elected body that also can inform the church. Um, Catherine, while you're thinking about your paper going forward, can I suggest that you've got a couple of great topics for a GMI blog? Oh, that sounds um, Which would be just a great way of talking about, you know, this is a really interesting topic around those personality traits that would be great to get that out. I'd be happy to. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. How many words is it? 800? 800. Like the conversation. Awesome. Yeah, it would be good. It might help you figure some things out too. Yeah. 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 Present it to a general audience too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Other questions? Anyone? Well, this has been one of the more lively sessions. Maybe we should have been doing this way all along, questions as we go. But uh, you, you handled it with aplomb. Um, great. Thanks so much. Uh, this is really interesting. Please join me. In. Can I also say, Lou, thank you very much for convening the seminars. You know, three years is a decent track record in that gig, and you've done it brilliantly, and it's been a pleasure to come and be part of it. So thank you. Thank you.